everybody. Welcome to the Big Six Podcast. It's Thursday, August 15th. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host of CBS Sports' Daily NFL Podcast. And because it's Thursday, that means one thing. Preseason football. Week two kicks off. 7 p.m. The Eagles and the Jaguars. The Bengals and the Redskins. Potentially the two worst teams in the NFL. Shots fired at John Breach, who's joining me today. Uh, or we'll be playing the Bears. The team of regression will not be playing. They play on Friday. Shots fired at Sean Wagner. McGuff also here. Uh, Packers at the Ravens. Jets at the Falcons. And Raiders at the Cardinals. That's going to be some uh, next week hard knocks information. We will get to... I'm on deck in a mock draft, apparently. Uh, we will get to that um, that hard knocks recap. John Breach, hard knocks uh, correspondent. In just a minute, reminder, subscribe. To Fantasy Football Today, the best fantasy podcast in the entire world. Dave Richard, Heath Cummings, uh, Jamie Eisenberg, Schmadam Schmazer, whatever the hell that guy's name is. Dishing out busts, breakouts, sleepers, draft information, everything you could possibly need. Uh, you know what? I kind of like the idea of giving up this pick. I have 30 seconds to make a selection. I need a running back. Uh, I also need a quarterback in a two-quarterback league. Do I go with David Montgomery, Austin Eckler, Carson Wentz, or Cam Newton? Andy Dalton. You're fired. That's John Breach. He's fired. Sean, what do you think? Okay. I don't want either of those running backs. So whatever quarterback you feel more comfortable with, both of whom have injury concerns. I'm going, Carson David, Wentz. I'm going David Montgomery. Fifth round. It's the fifth round. I just I don't see a viable way for him becoming fantasy startable with Tariq Cohen there and Mike I Davis do. there. I do. I just took him. He looks great in the preseason. I'm taking I don't think you can trust Sean. He's not going to be sober this whole weekend. He's going on a 48-hour bender in Vegas. So just you got to take what he's saying with a grain of salt. This is true. I might still be drunk when I show up in Florida for our for our summit. Might might still be drunk. By the way, this is an interesting uh, just comparison for fantasy sakes. Two quarterback drafts. So bear in mind that. But uh, Jamie Eisenberg took James Conner in the second round. I took Travis Kelsey, and then I got David Montgomery. So would you rather have Travis Kelsey and David Montgomery or James Conner and Hunter Henry? Your whatever you just what you did. Kelsey and Montgomery. Oh wait wait. Versus, he got Hunter Henry? Yeah, versus Hunter uh, Henry and Connor. With the second and fifth round picks literally next to each other. I just think it's an interesting comparison. I'd rather have who, – who is it, Jamie? Who did it? Kelsey. Any combination with Kelsey, I'll take. Sign me up. Okay. I like Kelsey too. Uh, by the way, you can DM me on Instagram, Twitter, or email me, wilbrinson at gmail.com if you have fantasy football questions. I don't do lineup questions. Won't answer them. But uh, keepers, draft selection – uh, trade possibilities, dynasty stuff, whatever you want. I will answer anything that comes from anybody who listens to this podcast. And the only way you know that I'll do it is by listening to this podcast. So uh, hit me up, preferably, you know, throw a little note in there like, hey, love the podcast. I, yeah, appreciate it. Um, also, anyone who leaves a five-star review, the four super friends will be down in Fort Lauderdale for a week at a Pick 6 Summit. We'll be recording a bunch of shows. I think we'll probably do a special empty-out-the-bag mailbag show. What do you guys think before the season starts? So leave a five-star review. Any question can be football-related, about the season, gambling-related. Uh, you, you can ask about, like, how old is Ryan? Uh, which which uh, which one of the um, you know, super friends would most likely uh, drink an IPA at noon on a Wednesday? I don't know. I mean, you know, who knows? What who the would win are. a 40-yard dash between Brinson and Sean? And the twist here is that someone could literally mail us something to our mailbag. If you put it in the mail today, it will get to Fort Lauderdale next week. We'll open up the envelope and we'll read it off a piece of paper. That's we're fun, gonna right? get like we're gonna get like poisoned or something. 
It's possible. It's possible we get poisoned. All right, Carson. That's the risk of being a public figure. All right, do I take Austin Eckler in the sixth round, or do I go Carson Wentz, Cam Newton? Two QB league. Andy Carson Wentz or Cam Newton. Dalton. Which one, Carson or Cam? Carson or Cam? I would rather have Carson. But. I'm taking Carson. I got no Carson this year. Sixth round. That's a good pick. All right, Carson Wentz it is. So, moving into the news, and then we will get to Josh Hirschmeyer of 538andestablishtherun.com. Uh, Sean and I already recorded that, that interview. Sean, killing it on the analytics, uh, interview co-hosting job this week. People are talking, as Pete Prisco likes to say. People are talking in a positive fashion about how you, uh, are really sliding in to that co-host chair. Well, well it's, it's nerd week and I feel like this, you know, who, who is a bigger nerd on this podcast than me? Nobody. That's, I'm just telling exactly. you, people are talking and they're impressed. Uh, anyway, we will get to Josh in a second. You should check him out at Frisco Josh on Twitter. Really fascinating analytics conversation. The feedback we've gotten on this week's shows have been great. Tomorrow's show, Friday, will feature Warren Sharp of Sharp Football Stats. We've had Warren on, I think, like, five times in the last two years and Warren is just the best and he'll probably dish out uh, last year his two best bets that he gave out on this podcast the Bears over and the Colts over both got crushed uh, so you should be listening to that show to get some good bets let's dive into the news Sean and I talked yesterday about Andrew Luck and his situation so Breach I'll ask you with the news that this is a high ankle sprain and not just a calf injury on a scale of I'm just kidding. You're, it's a 15 out of 10. That's your panic level. What the hell is going on? Does this feel like 2017? Are the Colts idiots? What, what, what is going on in Indianapolis? My panic level, like last week before we even knew about this ankle thing was like 700. I remember, uh, I think I said that if you had been, if you started throwing up in March and you threw up every day from March to August, you would be concerned. And if your calf starts hurting in March and it's still hurting in August, there's clearly still an issue. And here's my favorite thing, probably not the Colts' favorite thing or Andrew Luck's favorite thing, but the thing that Chris Ballard said this week that would concern me the most is, here he is, quote, in March through camp, Andrew was dealing with a calf and then a little area below his calf, which Andrew kind of referred to as a lower leg where he was dealing with some pain almost in the ankle area. So he's been dealing with this, unquote, I'm talking now, uh, so he's been dealing with <laughs> <laughs> he's been dealing with the lower ankle pain since March. That's what Ballard just said. So this isn't like a new issue. Now there's been two issues for five months. Neither of them are being fixed, and this just seems like a disaster waiting to happen. I think last week I had his chances of playing at week one at fifty five percent. I am lowering those to about thirty five. Yeah, when Brent and I talked about it yesterday, it was before Ballard did his big you know, conference with reporters. And even before then, I was saying I'm completely off the Colts winning the division. And I had him as a lock to win the division. Maybe even, you know, if I thought about it, maybe even that team to go to the Super Bowl for the AFC. I'm completely off now. And that was before we knew about, that was just off the Jim Ursay quote, which was the most vague thing. And I love that Jim Ursay pretty much forced, I feel like, Chris Fowler to have this press conference because Jim Ursay comes out just on this normal radio interview and calls it a little bone thing. And everyone freaks out because what does that even mean? And he kind of forces Chris Bauer to have this intense Q&A where he answers every question. And Chris Bauer can try his best to downplay it, and it's not 2017 and all this stuff. The only reason this isn't 2017 is because it's not a shoulder. Everything about this screams 2017. The fact that they don't really know, Breach just mentioned, how to fix it. Their entire recipe seems to be, we're just going to give it rest, and we're just going to hope at some point it heals up. That's exactly what they did with the shoulder, and guess what? It never healed up. 
it literally almost feels like the training team is like, you know what? Andrew went to Stanford. He knows more about everything than we do. He's smarter than us. We're just going to let him fix himself. And no one knows what's going on. The injury's not getting better. And, you know, once Jim Ursay starts talking about it, that's rock bottom for the Colts. That's when you know there's trouble. It goes from maybe there's trouble that there's definitely trouble. And, yeah, so this is just not a good situation. Um, so I'm on this text thread with me and a couple buddies. And, you know, we – Put some bets down on this text thread and, and, uh, every time that, every time that there's an NFL draft prop or an NFL season bet or an NFL bet that I throw out, I mean, my entire reputation is on the line. If it starts to go like sideways, I get pummeled for it. So, uh, I, I, I texted and I was like, Hey, listen, um, and we, we took the Colts to win the division at plus money. Uh, and I texted and I was like, Hey, just FYI, uh, I just took the, uh, I took the, um, the Chargers minus three in week one because I think, you know, that line should move. It will move if Andrew Luck's not playing. And the response was, if Luck isn't playing to start the season, you have bigger problems, Brinson, originating from this thread, followed by a Jesus, Brinson. So I'm like, I'm under fire for this Andrew Luck thing, uh, and I'm not happy about it. And it, it really grinds my gears because the same crap happened in 2017. Like, we saw this unfold. We saw the Colts botch an injury. Jim Mercy came out and blabbed some crazy nonsense to the, to the public about it. Then it escalated the threat level. And then everybody really started to panic about it. The whole thing just, just screams botch to me. And, and I'm, and I'm frankly kind of tired of it and, and annoyed by the whole process. And, um, I don't know. It, it just, it's, it, it's, it's kind of funny that when we're going picking AFC South teams, We've been dinging the Texans, oh, Deshaun Watson injury prone, you know, torn both ACLs. Marcus Mariota injury prone. We've kind of forgotten, I feel like, the Andrew Luck also. By now, I think we have to give him the label injury prone. And that's as big of a risk as Deshaun Watson, if not more, because unlike, you know, Deshaun Watson, Andrew Luck is actually dealing with an injury. And like the only thing this feels different than 2017 is that this time around, we actually remember what happened two years ago. So now there's just even more dread and more panic. And I don't think this is being an alarmist. I don't think this is, you know, blowing something out of proportion. If, if a general manager is forced to do a 20-minute or however long press conference and try to assure people that they're fine, and if they're already talking about how they feel comfortable with their backup quarterback, which, granted, they at least do have a good backup quarterback. That's the only thing they have got going for them here. There's a reason to be concerned because – if you're if you're forced to deal with a press conference talking about week one who's going to start, that means there's a problem. Hey, just as an FYI, well, actually, I'm not going to talk bad about this because my it'll it's be insulting to uh to our uh to our uh, our, our website. But I just got logged out of our uh, of this of a, of a of draft of a draft room in the middle of a draft because of the, like the CMS had logged me out. This this site. Uh, anyway. Hey, you guys want we want a fun trivia question real quick? Yeah, fun trivia question real quick. Of all our injury-prone AFC South quarterbacks, who do you think has started the most games over the past two seasons? And we can include Nick Foles in there playing for whatever teams he was playing for. Uh, Sean uh, Watson. Marcus Mariota? The last Marcus Mariota. Yep, the last <laughs> oh, wow. two years, the answer is Marcus Mariota. So he's been beat up. He's the one thrown, given the injury and label prone, and he's been on the field the most over the past two years of any <laughs> AFC South quarterback. That is how crazy 
the AFC South is, and that's how much it's up in the air because you don't know I if any of these guys are going to stay healthy. That's the first time in the history of this podcast someone has said, like, fun fact or fun trivia question that's actually been fun. That was so, fun. Good job. That was, that was fun. Good job. Uh, moving along in the NFL news, Baker Mayfield, uh, prota- uh, Colin Kaepernick antagonist extraordinaire, has uh, come out and said that people want the Browns to lose because of the hype. I'd say in an interview with Complex Sports, good for you, Baker, uh, I'd say that chatter doesn't matter. Ooh, that could be a good shirt. Chatter doesn't matter. Would you wear that? Chatter doesn't You're, matter. You are so big on these T-shirts without actually making them. Like, you just love coming up with, would this be a T-shirt? Why, why would, don't you start a T-shirt company? Why would I Why be, not why Rock would, doesn't rock? What was that? Why don't, why don't we come out with a T-shirt with it for the Pick 6 brand? Don't hate because you ain't. Lamar Miller or Lamar Jackson? That's a tough question. Who do you think? Lamar Jackson, second QB. This is the most okay. This is like peak Brinson tangents. We're in the middle of discussing Baker Mayfield, and you've gone on to t-shirts, and now you've gone on to your fantasy draft. What is what? What are you picking between? Uh, Lamar Lamar Jackson and Lamar Miller. And who are your running backs? Uh, They are Marlon Mack, David Montgomery, and Rashad Penny. Just make it. Just pick one. Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson. That's what I think too. I want, I want some of Lamar Jackson. Give me that Lamar Jackson action in a two QB league. He's going to pile up the rushing yards. Uh, anyway, Baker Mayfield, uh, said, I'd say the chatter doesn't matter. <laughs> the expectations for us within the locker room last year were higher than what we accomplished. Outside the locker room, people threw us in the trash before the season. They didn't expect much of us because the year before the Browns were 0 16. So you know, you can only go up from there. And I think now we need to have the same mentality. It stays within the locker room. Um, and he continued to go on and say that people want them to lose because of the hype. Uh, Breach, you want, you want Lamar, J- you want uh, Baker Mayfield and the Browns to lose for a different reason, don't you? Let me just say that if you want a team that everyone wants to lose, that would be the Patriots. Everyone hates the Patriots except for people in New England. No one hates the Browns. They're like sad little puppies that have been moping around for the past 25 years. Everyone I know, I have a lot of friends who are Bengals fans. These would be the perfect people to say, God, I hate the Browns. All these people want the Browns to be good. At least this year, they want to see, hey, let's, they, all these people will be happy for the Browns. No one hates the Browns. Baker Mayfield, I mean, he wasn't even born the last time the Browns won a division title, which I think was in 1989. So I do not know what Baker's talking about. I do know there is, the hype train is there, and uh, if it goes on off the track, they will become the laughing stock because they'll say, ah, oh, you traded for Odell, and that was a dumb trade, and you hired Freddie Kitchens, and he can't coach. And so there is a lot that could backfire if they're bad, but no one, no one is rooting against them, right? Uh, no, I don't think anybody's root, just straight up rooting against him. Um, Jerry Jones had a pretty incredible quote to describe the uh, situation, Sean, between Dak Prescott, Zeke Elliott, and Amari Cooper. He's <clears throat> very my best, Jerry. Picture if you were the driver of a car and you had a wreck and your hand was almost severed off, but you didn't understand your anatomy. You look down, you're spurting blood, you open the door and run to the woods and either die bleeding to death or shock. The educated man looks down, knows his anatomy, squeezes, and knows his best chances to wait for help. That's because he's been there a lot and done that. And so I'm squeezing and waiting for help. That's my lesson for today. I've got some questions. I've got lots of questions. How does Jer- Jerry's like, you know, I've been bloody in a car a lot. I mean, this happens all the time. I'm constantly bleeding in my car, looking down and squeezing my organs, knowing I got to be patient. B, do you... Who in the hell takes off running from a wreck to go into the woods while you're gushing blood? That's a yeah. I, I feel like you don't need to be uneducated, man. Clearly, yeah, clearly, I don't think you need to be educated to understand that if you're bleeding, you want to like close where the blood is dripping out of, and how you do that is by pressing 
your skin together to cover the hole. So I don't I'd look, I think we should give him points for creativity. Like to be honest, that's something I feel like Breach would would have come on the podcast and made an analogy like that. He's he's good at coming up with these weird analogies, so I like it. It's a very Breachian thing to say. Um, unfortunately, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't know why we're talking about this. I don't know. I'm I'm yeah. I'm at a loss for words. I don't know what analogy. Because it's a freaking about. incredible quote. And it's not <laughs> it even, is an incredible quote. It, it just it, it makes no sense. It's a terrible analogy. He's like like like. So you consider trying to sign Zeke and Dak and Amari Cooper like just sitting in your car gushing blood everywhere? Like you're the one with all the money. You're the one who's waiting on them. They're the ones bleeding. Jerry, get out of here. Uh, elsewhere in the news, Kenyon Drake spotted in a boot. According to multiple reports, including friend of the program, Adam, just friend in life, Adam Beasley, Bees, a.k.a. Wildcard, spotted Kenyon Drake in a boot in his right foot. Uh, will you touch Kenyon Drake in fantasy draft, Sean? Yes, because, you know, I had a draft last night and I was with some friends and they were debating, should we take Kenyon Drake? Should I take Kenyon Drake? And so one of the, my friends, he doesn't know that much about football, looks at the depth chart and he goes, who are these guys? Like, who's going to take his, these touches? He was like, I'm, I'm grabbing Kenyon Drake because even if he's on a terrible offense, there's no one there that's competing for touches. So yeah, I'm still grabbing Kenyon Drake. Frank Gore's gone. Uh, look, he's not, it's all about where you get him. You're not taking him in round two or three, but if I can get him in the middle rounds, a guy who's going to get touches and I don't care if he misses the preseason, I would rather he miss the preseason. So he doesn't, you know, suffer an actually serious injury in the preseason. It's fair dog. Uh, he just went in the back of the eighth round. Um, in, uh, in this draft I'm in, Dave Richard took him. I'm contemplating taking Kalen Balaj instead of Hey, can thing. I say real quick sure. that, uh, Dolphins Bowl predictions, which I'm sure you guys didn't read because no one cares about the Dolphins in this podcast. We don't talk about them enough, but one of them, and this was before Kenyon Drake was in a boot. This came out two weeks ago. I predicted that Kalen Balaj would have more scrimmage yards than Kenyon Drake. And now I feel really good about that prediction. And, uh, I would not take Sean's draft advice. That's all. Great job by you, Breach. Um, <laughs> you know, one guy that we haven't really talked about just out of randomness, Deshaun Jackson. Do you think Deshaun Jackson should be good for the Eagles? I think Carson I, Wentz has an arm. I think anything throw down the field, I think he's going to be a weapon. He's going to be better than he was with the Bucks last year. You would think so. Um, okay, moving along in the news. Oh, uh, Jeff Driscoll's at wide receiver, Breach. Tell me why that's a bad idea. So, well, the Bengals only have three quarterbacks. Just, Ryan Finley, Brinson's boy, Ryan Finley. Where's he from, Brinson? It's the NC State University. Obviously, Dalton. And they have Jeff Driscoll. So now Jeff Driscoll's like, put me at wide receiver. And I'll just make this quick because nobody cares about the Bengals' third string quarterback. Uh, he was practicing at wide receiver back in December because they had so many injuries. They were short on receivers. And he broke his arm. So, like... I don't know why you would put this guy back at receiver. If he gets injured, you're down to two quarterbacks, and you have to put Finley as your number two guy. Uh, or maybe the Bengals just don't care what happens to Driscoll. So it's weird, but, you know, we see the Patriots do it. You just – you don't have a spot for a quarterback. You throw him in another position, hope it works. Who's the l- most recent guy to make that transition successfully? Is it Terrell Pryor who – Julian I mean, Edelman? Edelman? Well, no, but Edelman was before Pryor now. I'm saying the most recent. I wouldn't call Pryor successful. That's what I was going to say, but he's like the most successful of the Lamar recent Jackson. ones. Um, and then you have Cameron Meredith, who hasn't been able to play in like two years. So I don't know. I don't. I don't think Jeff Driscoll's going to turn it into anything. But <laughs> there you go. Uh, all right, on to hard knocks. 
Hard Knocks episode two aired on a Tuesday night. We're a day late, dollar short on terms of the recap, but that's okay. Uh, you know why? Cause we're here. We're here, John Breach, to, uh, to put our foot in somebody's bottom. Are we clear on that? I want better execution. I want you to get a little bit pissed off. All right. Not a lot of people expect very much from us. Do they? Do they? You've been reading about us? Not a lot of people expect enough from us. I'm tired, man. I'm tired of reading about it. It's time for you to stick your foot up somebody's ass, man. <laughs> John Gruden, John Breach was the star of Hard Knocks once again, wasn't he? Uh, you know what? If they just let John Gruden yell at people for an hour, that would be the most captivating television they could possibly do. Everyone would watch. And obviously you have to sneak in some Antonio Brown segments. But other than that, I mean, it's fun watching him cuss at his players. It's fun listening to tell he doesn't have any problem telling them they suck. He does it all the time. Uh, he loves yelling at anyone and everyone. You can clear, he's clearly annoyed by things that are out of control, like the Antonio Brown situation. Uh, so Gruden definitely makes this season fun. I'm with you. Uh, we had another, go ahead, Sean, while you're, uh, I'll find the other. Uh, I was just going to say that, uh, John Gruden was my favorite commentator. The entire time he was in ESPN and not even, I'm not even, this isn't even like a criticism of him, but it's not even because of like anything he would like say, like nothing smart or insightful. Not saying he didn't say smart and insightful things, but just because he's the most inner, he was the most entertaining commentator. I always felt like and no matter what he was saying, it was always fun and he would always get worked up about certain things. And so it's such a blessing that he, we at least get one season of hard knocks and I would hope all or nothing, um, because I would like to see him chew out Derek Carr in the regular season. That would just – that <laughs> well, would be a dream come true. How would you like to hear him chew out Nathan Peterman? Because he's about to do that. That works too. And then at the end of this 57 or so second clip, um, uh, he's going to say something that I texted to my wife because it's very true. I want a little bit more uh, veteran presence in the huddle. You act like some bored-ass rookie going on family vacations here. How do you screw up a snap count? Let's go. Get the f*** going, Nate. Let's go. Hey, Nate, you got to hurry up, man. It takes forever. Start the motion. Get it going. We're running out of time. My life is running out of lifespan. So casual. <laughs> like a house mouse. Hey, what are you doing? The hell are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Bye, ball. What are you doing? Hey, we can't turn the f***ing ball over, man. I ain't going to be a part of that shit. Ridiculous. We got a good cussing. <laughs> I don't know which one of them, uh, as Pete Bell. That is, my life is running out of life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, we all cackle to that. Like, we're running out of time. My life's running out of lifespan. <laughs> Could you imagine if this show was on network TV? You would have no idea what Gruden's saying because they have to bleep out every other word. Well, John, we probably had to bleep out every other word in terms of this, uh, <laughs> in terms of this podcast. All right. Give me a, give me a rundown of what else you thought about, uh, episode two of Hard Knocks, John. You're our resident, uh, Hard Knoxian, uh, uh, historian, maybe. I mean, what we heard from Gruden was most of the episode. I thought the <laughs> two most fascinating things though was they did touch on the Antonio Brown frostbite stuff not so much the helmet although that they covered that for about 60 seconds not that long it was just kind of a recap of the news that happened but with the frostbite stuff they went into details they let antonio brown actually give an interview he's sitting there he's going yeah i went on vacation in paris 
I wanted to get some stuff done, so I went to get cryotherapy on my feet. Then he's giving just these gross details. He's like, I get out. My feet are burning. I don't know what's going on. They start to bubble up and turn big like a whoopee cushion. So I have to get a doctor who takes a scalpel, cuts my foot open, uh, and then you have the gross, gushy, you know, whatever comes out of blisters is just flowing out of his feet. And then he said the scalpel wasn't enough, so they have to get scissors and cut his feet open again the next day <laughs> to get more of the gross, I guess, pus is the word. Yeah. I think that's what comes out of blisters. So he had so much pus in his feet that they had to cut it open two days in a row to get it all out. Uh, and so he's, this is what he's talking about. And then he's saying he has a hard time practicing because when he runs, it feels like he's walking on a whoopee cushion, which <laughs> I couldn't even imagine what that feels like. So I, I feel like, uh, the Raiders do have the power to censor this. So they let a lot of that conversation stick in there, which I was kind of surprised about. And then, uh, before they were preparing for their game against the Rams, Brent Musburger, the team announcers, was doing his kind of recon session with Mike Mayock, the Raiders general manager, to try and get some information on this whole thing. And you could tell Mayock was just trying not to talk about it. You could tell he was embarrassed. This was just the dumbest situation he's ever been a part of in his entire life. He's like, <laughs> look, Antonio's going to be on the field week one. That's it. Nothing else matters. Don't bring it up, Brent. And so that's basically Brent. I don't think Musburger really talked about it uh, during the Raiders-Rams game. He's talked about more about the helmet thing. So that – is and then all the Gruden stuff that Brinson just played for you. Uh, and by the way, one more clip. Here's Antonio Brown explaining that he feels like his uh, foot is uh, circumcised. All right. Yeah, for like, real. Like circulation? Yeah. No. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. With the new skin. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Uh, oh, yeah, kind of like a pullback right now. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. He says he felt like his feet are circumcised, and it's like a pullback right now with all the new circulation so that's uh that's pretty enticing sean um anything else to add before we get out of here and go talk to josh hirschmeyer no i'm excited for that conversation i think it should go well i bet it will go well john breach always a pleasure to talk to you we will uh chat again soon buddy thanks guys bye guys after this break josh hirschmeyer 538 established a run robert half research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring if you have open roles chances are you're feeling this too that's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right. Welcome back to the program. Now joining us as promised, Josh Hermsmeyer. From uh, 538 at Frisco Josh on Twitter and also one of the, uh, the guys over at establishtherun.com, the new venture. Is it, I mean, Josh, is it fair to call it, uh, I mean, it's Evan, Evan Silva and Adam Levitan's new venture. Is that what it is or is it, are we all, are you like equity partner? How does, I mean, not, not, not asking for the, 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 the full info, but I just want to make sure I establish what, what the correct uh, parameters there. No, no, I'm just a contributor. I'm a plebe, and uh, they are the uh, owners of Establish the Run. And uh, I wasn't consulted when they named it. It was, you know, I was completely out of the loop on all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm super excited to be working with Adam and, and Evan, though, as everyone knows, they're just top-notch dudes and 
and happy to have my, uh, my some of my content on that site. No, oh, well, and look, the, we're we're pumped to have you here on uh, Analytics Week slash Nerd Week. Um, we got uh, Warren Sharp coming up tomorrow. Uh, we talked to uh, the Pro Football Focus guys already, and you write uh, at Smarty Pants Football Places, so it made a lot of sense. More importantly, though, I want to ask you if you uh, you have one meat and one grill to make uh, for your final meal, what would it be? Oh, that's such a good question. <laughs> um, I think, you know, like perfectly cooked brisket. Mm. Um, I, I don't think it can be topped. And, 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 and you know, a burn-in sandwich mm. and then some just perfect pieces off a full pack of brisket, uh, different parts of the point in different areas. Oh, man, you, you just can't, you can't do better than that. So I, I think it would be. I think it would be brisket for sure. All right. It's a good answer. Uh, the brisket of quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers, is, uh, has, is that fair, Sean? Not fair? Unfair? Sean? Uh, well, brisket's not in decline. I feel like brisket is still, Ooh. you know, peaking, whereas Rodgers, you know. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, uh, that's Sean's a Bears fan. He's Bears Twitter re- imagined in real life. Um, so, you're writing about it and I don't, I don't, it's not coming out, but it's coming out soon. I don't think it actually, it's probably out now as people are listening to it. Um, I assume that is on 538.com, not establish a run, just to clarify. Correct. It'll be on 538 coming, uh, if, if this airs after Thursday of this week, then yeah, it'll be out. Yeah, this will be up. This is the Thursday show. We have to record a day early because of technological, uh, issues involving yeah. me and, uh, my family. But, um, they're a pain in the ass, basically. But, uh, so Rogers has not been, Rogers has not been great the last few years. I mean, he has been great. He's had stretches where he's been incredible. But by and large, I mean, we've seen this guy who sort of got stuck in a system. Um, is it your belief that he could potentially have a rejuvenation period under Matt LaFleur and a new offensive scheme at Green Bay? You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's the hope, right? I, obviously everyone in Green Bay is, is, is really looking forward to a new system and some kind of forward thinking, uh, on the offensive side of the ball and, and not just letting Rogers call an audible a third of the time and then, you know, throw it out of bounds. So I think that there are some, you know, there's some reason for hope. But what I looked at was just from 2015 till, till 2018, just previous four years, he's been about league average and there's parts of the field where he's actually well below league average. And that's in the deep and intermediate left where Jordy Nelson used to prowl. And then in the, in the middle of the field, he's also below average. And I was kind of curious why that might be. And, and I looked at it and it's, it's actually the case. The Packers are absolute garbage at play action. And that's wild to me. Play action is the most efficient play type in all of football, even lowly, lowly offenses can execute it at a, a high clip. And his yards per target is last. The, the Packers' yards per target on play action is last in the league over the past four years. And that just blew my mind. And, and so what I did was I looked at – I went to the film, you guys. I went to the film <laughs> and I looked at um, – <laughs> I looked at uh, a, a couple plays from the Packers and, and a couple plays from Lafleur last year and the, and the Titans – and I found one against the Dolphins for each of them where they ran a similar type of play. It's a bootleg play action where the quarterback rolls out to the opposite side of the field with the entire line. Um, it's like a stacked box alignment from Jumbo. And, and they all kind of move to one side of the field, the quarterback bootlegs to the other. So he's alone on the opposite hash looking downfield. And what I saw with, with McCarthy's kind of scheme is that he had only two wide receivers running routes attacking the, the, the secondary 
Whereas before he, and, and under Shanahan, I guess the Shanahan concept, it's that tight end week where he looks like he's blocking the entire time. And then he goes and he attacks the vacated area where all the, where all the linebackers and some of the secondary go to try and play the run. He sneaks and leaks out that tight end. And, um, you know, Mariota on the play didn't actually throw for a touchdown because he underthrew it. Um, I don't think Rodgers underthrows those kind of balls. And so my point in the entire piece is really that if, if they can get play action going with Rodgers, um, I think, I think he could be, you know, one of those top quarterbacks again, because it's just such a good, uh, play in the NFL and then that, that deception and all the rest of it. The fact that the Packers have been so garbage at it for the past four years is, is, uh, is just wild to me. It's, it's, it's just not something you would expect. So I wanted to ask you about LaFleur because, look, Brinson mentioned I'm a Bears fan, so like naturally I look at that hiring and I look at it with skepticism because to me it seems like the ultimate Sean McVay type of reach. We want to find our own Sean McVay. And you're, you're already referencing things that he did in Tennessee last season, which was his first year as a play caller. Do you think we've seen enough from LaFleur with the Titans and – you know, albeit it was in a bad circumstances. He had injured Marcus Mariota. He had Blaine Gabbard at times. So it's not like he had the personnel that he's going to have in Green Bay. So do you think we've seen enough from him in Tennessee to be able to project what he will be doing in Green Bay? And, and then I guess another part of that question is how much are we able to weigh what he did with the Rams and with the Falcons and the Redskins as an assistant who wasn't calling the plays? Um, are we able to factor any of that into what we might see in Green Bay? I think what he put on, what he put on tape, you know, all these, all these <laughs> cliches. I think what, I think what he showed with the Titans was enough to get him the job. And I think the thinking wasn't that we could project him and all this is that if, if he is good, if you're going to take the shot on someone and he is good, he's young and he's now the head coach. And, uh, as Robert Mays from the ringer wrote this week, um, a lot of the thinking behind that is you want an offensive play caller and a guy who's going to work with your quarterback that can't be taken away by another, by another team. Um, so that you have some consistency on offense and, and that consistency will, you know, hopefully eventually turn into wins. So I think your point is well made that the projection is, you I mean, you're making a large projection on LeFleur. Um, he doesn't have a huge body of work, but he does seem to be, to be able to competently scheme and, and, and run uh, the Shanahan offense. And we have a pretty good idea that that is good, that the scheme itself is sound and, uh, and forward thinking and has some really good play concepts within it. And so I think, I think uh, by and large, he, he was probably a savvy hire. I think if people are expecting to be in the Super Bowl in two years, like McVay, you know, that's, that's just wildly optimistic. Although, you know, with a player like Aaron Rodgers, you can never uh, rule that out entirely. I think one of the things, Josh, that's really interesting about sort of the analytics in, in the past few years, and, and, you know, you spoke to this when you talked about the, the Rodgers stuff. You know, you look at, uh, at least according to Football Outsiders, uh, Green Bay last year ran play action on 20% of their plays, which is 27th in the NFL, and uh, Tennessee, the Titans, uh, ran it on 29% of their plays, which is 6th in the NFL. I mean, it's a pretty, you know, pretty substantial difference. San Francisco, you mentioned uh, Shanahan up there at uh, 26%, 11th in the NFL. I mean, you know, you can see the Rams are at 36%. <laughs> I mean, just by far first in the NFL. Seattle also up, up at the top. I, I wonder... What, um, can you sort of expound on, on how, and like 
diving into the data and looking at the analytics and even looking, you know, just the eye test or put it on film, you know, whatever you want to say has, uh, has, has created the notion that you can run play action without actually having a run game. Cause I, I don't think that's something that maybe the average fan would believe if you tried to explain to them. Yeah. I think the sharp teams have concluded as, you know, kind of outside analytics people have been arguing for years, which is that you don't need a successful running game or a, a big league, high-end elite uh, running back, you know, three-down bell cow, to legitimately test the defense and and make them think your 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 run is worth defending. They've been taught since they were little, all the way coming up through the system, then into the NFL. That you know, if you're a linebacker, certainly in the middle, um, and or a strong side linebacker, and sometimes even a box safety, your first job is a gap, right? And and if if it looks like you're going to have to fill you better get down there right now and, and do your job. And so it, it really is more the case, I think, that, you know, a good sell at the mesh point, people like Kirk Cousins do this really, really well. Um, he, 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 has, he works on play fakes every year, and he has a, it's a point of pride for him. And then also just the line play. The line really needs to sell that they're, that they're run blocking. And so if you have both those things, I don't think – I think having the running back is just a tiny, tiny aspect – uh, fooling, uh, uh, fooling the defenders and then opening up a void in, uh, the, the intermediate middle of the field for you to attack. Do you think it's correct to say to sell play action, you don't even need to establish the run as a team like the Seahawks have clearly tried to do, which is establish the run and then they believe that sets up play action for Russell Wilson. But do you think it's true that you don't even need to establish the run and you can just run play action even if you're not running the ball that much and it will still work on our defense? Absolutely. In fact, I looked at it with the next-gen data, and I, I looked at teams that ran it the most in a single game. I think, I think the most I found was like 13 or 14 times in a single game. And what, what I found was is that from the first time they ran play action to the last time they ran play action, the, the, the defender, at least one defender, moved about the same amount every single time. Um, so he just kept getting fooled. And again, I think it comes back to this idea. That's their job, right? They got to fill. And, uh, and so no, you don't need to, you don't need to have run any number of plays, uh, rushing ahead of that for that to, to be true for play action to remain effective. That's something we found early on looking at, at the analytics. And then the other thing people said, well, you need to have a, you know, a high draft pick or someone who's elite. And we looked at that. We didn't find any correlation between the type of back and his production. Uh, either in his career or, or, or in that year or even in that game um, that led us to believe that it had any impact at all on the efficiency of play action. So really play action is its own thing, and it's not dependent on the running back. It's dependent on the line, and it's dependent on the quarterback selling that mesh point. Uh, you mentioned a bell cow back, and uh, one of the things you wrote about, which I'm sure over at 538.com um, – and of course, establishes a run being, you know, the name, the name that it is, but, um, uh, is the Zeke Elliott thing. And I, I'm trying to think of the exact title that it was, but then it, it was not a inaccurate title. Uh, but I, I have to imagine that people got up in your, uh, was it, uh, the, the line I think Mina Kimes uses up in your Minchies, so to speak. Um, Ezekiel Elliott is not worth the money he wants was the title at 538. Well, What's sort of the context on why the Cowboys should not pay Zeke, or you know, what do you think they should pay him, and uh, how was how was the general response to that? Because I bet it wasn't polite. You know, it's funny. I went on uh, 
Washington radio station and a Dallas radio station. They were both really, really polite about it. Obviously, Washington liked it, but uh, the, the the Dallas folks were actually into it as well. I think I think it, we've come to a spot now where I think we realize that the major points I made in the article are basically true. The first is that the league is paying much less for running backs, um, and they're doing they're they're loading up on one particular running back much 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 more rarely than they used to. So what they do is they spread out there. You may still have a team spend, you know, quite a bit of money at the running back position, but they've spread it out amongst, you know, five or six different backs. And, and the reason you do that is because a running back in the NFL, especially one who is anticipated to get a high workload, will get injured, seriously injured, like 20 to 34%. So basically, let's just put a, a third of the time, Jeez. they'll miss four games or more. And and if you can't count on that production, I mean, you can see what happened to Todd Gurley. He got his big contract, got injured by the end of the year. And then, of course, C.J. Anderson came off the couch and, uh, you know, had been eating Cheetos, and he, and he did pretty well in that system. So I think, I think those reasons as well as that Dallas would put itself in a position if they made – because they started the negotiation. Stephen Jones basically said, the floor for our discussion here is going to be Todd Gurley's contract. Todd Gurley is the highest paid running back in the league. What, that's just the strangest way to start a contract negotiation I've ever heard of. And so taking that as our starting point, you're already saying that you're probably going to overpay this guy to the tune of 15 to 20 million a year. And if you do that, you're probably going to start running the ball in places where you should be passing the ball. And, and this goes back to this whole thing about establishing a run being kind of nonsense and, Really running is, 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 a, is a situation specific thing. It's, it's in the red zone. It's, um, it's when you need uh, short yardage to, to convert to a new set of downs. Um, it, so those are the, those are the times when running is really, really valuable. When you want to close out a game, that's another spot. And it turns out Zeke is not like elite in any of those areas. Any running back can perform those duties. So you're overpaying for the parts where running does matter. And then you're kind of, you're, you're kind of, influencing the team to call running plays in places where they probably should be passing with back and attacking downfield. So it's kind of this curse that occurs when you overpay at the running back position. Yeah. I, I mean, I would obviously agree with the stance of not overpaying Zeke and committing guaranteed money for him over a long period of time. And I think most of the analytics community would probably agree with that. I think the case for Dak giving Dak the extension is probably a bit more muddled. Um, I think you can find people on opposite ends where do you stand on something like that? Because I look at it, whereas I completely understand the thinking about you're not don't want to give Dak Prescott thirty five million a year, whatever he's going to cost above that Wentz contract. Because once you're paying that much money to one player, it just you know it makes it more difficult to build a better team around him, and there's so much more value in having a quarterback on a cheap rookie deal. But at the same time, mm-hmm. the quarterback position is the most important position, obviously, in all the sports. In that there is really no alternative for the Cowboys because if they do, if they do let Dak go, what are they going to do? I don't really see a viable alternative for them to win games. So where do you stand on something like that? Whereas the Zeke thing seems a little bit more clear, even if the Cowboys will probably overpay him. Do you think they should be willing to give Dak the contract he wants, which is probably going to be pushing thirty four, thirty five million? The quarterback question. I mean, it's such a conundrum. I think like to properly answer the question, you need to also then bring in, well, what are your alternatives and what's your strategy? Like mm. I'm, I'm all in favor. Let's, let's, let's say that you don't sign Dak. Well, then you need to, you need to figure out what you're going to do in the short term, obviously. And then in the long term, you need to have a strategy to find your, your, your quarterback of the future. 
and uh, and your franchise back, uh, quarterback. And so um, I would be a huge fan of collecting high first round draft picks, especially next year, which looks like a solid QB class, and taking a couple and getting your hands on them using two first round picks. I want to be very clear: two first round picks, wow. not just one, but two, and then get your hands on them. Figure out which one's the best of the two and then trade off the other one. We've seen this done before. We've seen it done before by Dallas. They took Troy Aikman the very next year. They took another quarterback with a supplemental first-round pick who they ended up trading away. They got Leon Letts for him. I think some. Uh, I think they got another, another uh, guy that was a stalwart on their uh, defensive line. And, and so I think, that, I think that's how I would approach the problem. But to answer your question directly about um, – uh, about Zeke, or excuse me, about Dak Prescott. I think the the real problem with the NFL is they undervalue the position, and so he's out here saying I'm probably worth you know 20 percent of the cap, and he's right. He's totally worth 20 percent of the cap. An average quarterback, even above slightly above average quarterback, is worth that money. It's just the case that the NFL isn't paying market price for quarterbacks right now. So Dallas would then be like one of the few teams who are paying market where everyone else is paying depressed prices. And uh, so I actually think what Dak is asking for is fair, but you're absolutely correct in saying that because the rest of the league's overpaying for these other positions, they won't be able to be as competitive in those markets and it could hamper their team building. Uh, I, I want to just jump back onto that two quarterback thing. And you're right. They, Cause the Cowboys took Steve Walsh. It was the 89 supplemental draft after they had already taken Troy Aikman. And then they yeah. you know, counted as a, two, a, a 1990 pick. But um, yeah. So you think, the move, and we've, we've seen teams double, I mean, alright, so, okay, hold on. A couple of questions about this. One, like, we, well, I, I, I sort of started branching out of my brain. So how do you feel about the Josh Rosen, Kyler Murray move? Does that qualify under the same circumstances? I mean, they traded Rosen before they had, you know, they traded Rosen sort of at the same time. They didn't see which one was better and take that path, which they had the option of doing. Um, and you would have, if you were the Browns last year, maybe gone instead of Denzel Ward, uh, gone with, I guess, you know, Darnold wasn't there, but take Josh Allen or, or Lamar Jackson or somebody and, and try to f- just let them figure out who the best one is and then roll with that. You, you think that's the play? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and look, they had Tyrod Taylor, who was probably good enough as well. But if your job, I mean, as the Browns, for instance, um, I really like, you know, that they took that, the cornerback as well. I mean, sure. that's great too. That's a, that's a great other pick. But if you're, if you're not convinced or you're, there's still a lot of uncertainty around your, your quarterback pick, I don't see any problem with getting two of them and, and then figuring that out and then trading the one that you don't want away. But, um, and like you mentioned with Dallas, they did that. And, and Kyler Murray and Josh Rosen, if there was any kind of, and especially when you're bringing in a new coach and Steve Kime had drafted Rosen, I'm sure he had some kind of misgivings about dumping that guy immediately. That's a situation where I definitely would have kept Rosen in house. You didn't get much for him in trade. So keep him there. Have them compete. Make Kyler compete. He's, he's already got a reputation as a diva. Make mm. him earn it. Why, why do quarterbacks don't have to earn their spot, but everyone else on the team has to? Why do we have to treat them with kid gloves? So I would just make them compete. The guy, if, if Kyler's as good as you think he is, picking him with the 1.01, he should beat out Rosen handily. We saw what he looked like last year in, in a, a dumpster fire of a team. But, you know, maybe, maybe you need to. You know, maybe Kyler gets hurt. He is small. Um, so... I really believe that trading him away, especially for pennies on the dollar like they did to to the Dolphins, was a bad move. I would have kept him in the house. 
It feels like we're never going to get to that point. Just, I just, I don't see a team drafting two quarterbacks in the top 10 with the, in the rare instances teams do have two first round picks. Where do you stand on? Cause it seems like the way the modified version that teams do this is they have their franchise quarterback already there, like a guy like Andy Dalton, who in name is a franchise quarterback, but is very replaceable. And what they do is they take a quarterback in the third round or something like that. Do you buy that? Right. Do you buy that as like a viable strategy? Because I mean, for me, do you look at, I mean, Dak Prescott is obviously one of the exceptions, but you look at the success rate of quarterbacks in the middle rounds or late rounds and it's so low, it almost feels like you're tossing away a draft pick where you could be targeting other areas. So where do you stand on doing that just in the middle or late rounds? I mean, first of all, as you, as you rightly point out, the hit rate's much lower uh, after you get past the first round. And then secondly, you only get four years of them. You don't get that fifth-year option uh, at that cheap price, um, which is something you're probably going to need if you're unsure about who your quarterback of the future is. So I, I really do think that there are huge benefits to, to doing that two QBs in the first-round strategy. The, the other part of it, though, the, the major negative, and I think this is why we see teams not doing this, is that it's a management problem, right? You have two big egos and you have to, you have to figure them out um, and, and you have to stroke them and you have to manage them. And so you t- take someone who is, who is deft um, with, with people managing and, uh, and, and can somehow bring the team behind each guy at different times, depending on what he's trying to accomplish. But at the end of the day, NFL teams are going to coalesce behind the, te- the guy that helps them win. Uh, you know, so whoever that ends up being, even if you have a fractured locker room at some point, they'll all come together behind the winner. Um, the guy that's helping him put W's on the board. So I don't, I think in the short term, there's pain. Uh, but in the long term, you're really giving your team a better chance to, uh, to field a, a competitive unit. Well, what's interesting about that too is so we had, uh, Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus on it. He said they have a, a, not a front facing stat, but something that resembles basically war for, for football players and that it is, I mean, no bleep Sherlock. It's heavily, heavily weighted towards quarterbacks being the most important thing. And yet, it, like, it's perfectly fine for a team. The Bears did this with Mike Glennon and Mitchell Trubisky. The Seahawks did it with uh, Russell Wilson and Matt Flynn. Nobody bats an eye if you spend a big in free agency and use a draft pick on somebody. But if you use two high draft picks on quarterbacks, you're a rogue lunatic who, like, yeah, but it, like, like, the whole goal should be invest whatever you have to invest to, to get that quarterback, right? I mean, that, that seems to me to be an obvious I mean, it's hard, it's hard to sell to people because it's not conservative, but I, I see, I certainly see your point. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's the entire deal in a lot of ways. It's, it's getting that quarterback right is the thing. And, you know, there's a, there's a great argument to be made again, surrounding Dak, the middling quarterback, paying him market price can kind of doom you to mediocrity. And then you can never get those high draft picks to try and reload because you're always around seven and nine, you know, eight and eight. Um, so that's probably the best argument against someone like Dak is that, you know, maybe he is more, uh, reliant on the talent you surround him with. He's not a guy who can go out there and win games for you. But again, I think a lot of that has to do with the Cowboys being a kind of a backwards team and the way that they approach offensive football. Um, they, they want to run first, pass second, and that's just not a winning recipe anymore in the NFL. And I think if they could change that around and be a little more aggressive, I think they'd find that they can win uh, more than more than they thought with Dak. So I think it's interesting as we're talking about this and like the value of a first round quarterback being so much higher than any other pick. It seems like every year when a team trades up for a franchise quarterback, 
if you look at like the draft chart and we always be like, oh, they lost so many points, like the Bears when they traded up for Trubisky. Now, obviously, who knows if Trubisky was worth the pick? Probably not. But, I mean, do you think that maybe we could see an overcorrection where suddenly teams are willing to give up a ton of draft capital to move up in the first round to get, you know, the Herberts and the Tuas in the draft and as, like, the analytics community maybe not railing on those moves anymore because – while they're giving up a ton of later draft capital, at the same time they're taking a shot on a first-round quarterback, and if they hit on that, as we're talking about, then their future is pretty much set. Absolutely. So, like, for instance, I, I, did, I built a model to project, uh, you know, college QB success in the NFL, and it hated Daniel Jones and it hated Drew Locke. Like, gave them both less than 10% or 50, less than 15% chance of being an average or better NFL quarterback. But that said... I still think the Giants drafting Jones is a much, much, much better pick than them taking Saquon Barkley. And even though the hit rates are wildly different, like Saquon's a sure thing. Yeah. You can see what he did. You can see what he did to the, to, to their ability to win games. It just didn't even move the needle. Um, whereas if they somehow hit with Jones, then he changes the franchise. And, and there's the same thing with Locke, uh, you know, They've had a really tough run in, in, in Bronco land and, and, and Denver, and, but they've had a really good approach. They've taken the right positions at the right spots. They just haven't hit on the players. Taking Locke, a guy with a small shot of succeeding in the second round, is still a really, a really smart bet, in my opinion. So I think, I think uh, analytics people would give these teams that are taking shots on, on low probability quarterbacks, um, a lot more slack. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's sort of like we were trying to explain about Mitchell Trubisky and uh, 200 to one to win the MVP. Like we don't think he's going to win the MVP. We don't, we, we don't think it's going to happen, but it's probably more like a 50 to one chance that he wins MVP than 200 to one. So you, you want to try and take that value. Uh, Josh, I was looking at this chart, this beautiful little, uh, uh, smart chart that you tweeted out, uh, recently. It is a passing EPA, uh, which is expected points added per play, uh, versus rushing EPA per play on first and 10 by each team over the course of a season in 2018. Uh, people should go to at Frisco Josh and check this out. A bunch of different teams stand out to me, notably uh, the, the, the literal nosedive that the, that the Saints took late in the season in, in terms of passing EPA on first down. That's a huge red flag for, for Drew Brees. I would think uh, the Rams are, are up there, too. The Ravens skyrocketing late on, on passing EPA in, in first down with Lamar Jackson, who apparently can't pass, according to Twitter. What, uh, what was your primary takeaway from, uh, from, the, from these fancy little graphs? Yeah, I think those three stood out. Certainly, the other thing I noticed, and, and and that I think that uh, that a lot of people on the analytics community mentioned, but a lot of people kind of gloss over, is that if you look at all the lines for rushing, they're basically the same for every team. <laughs> what differentiates teams is what they do with passing, right? And, and that that's the thing that moves the needle when winning in in the NFL. And this this graph kind of shows it in a really stark way. It's not that. You know, you have to be a really, really good quarterback, have a really, really good quarterback, as you see with the uh, Patriots, with uh, the Chargers, as you see with uh, uh, Drew Brees until the end of the season, is that you know, they were consistently better uh, at passing the ball they're running, and they won a lot of games, and that's just that's the deal. But looking at uh, at those three th- at those three teams, I think what you'll see is that rushing for Baltimore went up after Lamar came in and became more efficient. And then after a fashion of near the end of the season, passing became even more efficient. I think it was his threat to run. He just sure. completely changed that offense. 
Um, uh, uh, you know, rushing quarterbacks is, is probably an untapped uh, kind of um, inefficiency in the NFL still. The problem with it, of course, is that there's that danger of losing your franchise quarterback. Um, another kind of wild idea I think should probably be embraced a little more often in the NFL is this, this notion of having relief quarterbacks. Um, Taysom Hill is a reasonable example, but I think you could even push it even further. And that's just, it's this idea. If you talk to people in the NFL, they'll say, the reason why we don't pass as much as maybe we should, and we know that we should pass a lot is that it, it, there's a burden on the play caller and there's a burden on the quarterback himself. He needs a mental break. So we just have manned it off. I'm like, well, well, rotate in a fresh quarterback. I mean, you, you guys, it's not like baseball where if you take a guy out and can't put him back in again, you know, rotate them in, you know, get, get the guys in there and have a, have a package for each guy. And, and so I think there's lots of ways around these, these kind of difficulties and, and maybe even the difficulty of the higher injury risk to your quarterback by rushing. But yeah, I, I looked at those same teams and, uh, and I found them interesting. I don't know if you guys know anything about Drew Brees and, and his potential injury late in the season where he made that tackle on an interception. I know folks like Warren Sharp have speculated that that might have been uh, the cause of his late season decline. But uh, um, anyway, well, that's well, one bit well, of speculation. Well, no, we had the same situation with Cam Newton on the uh, the pick six against the Steelers on that Thursday night game when Carolina was six and two, and all of a sudden after that, you know, the season goes to hell and he's having shoulder surgery. I mean, I think I understand we train our you know Andy Dalton always catches crap for not making the tackle or like you know like. He, he stopped doing it after he, like he broke his thumb or whatever. But like, we really should teach these quarterbacks that they don't need to tackle on pick six situations. More than likely, you're not stopping it, and even if you do, you can end up wrecking your shoulder. So yeah, I agree with you. But I think Sean had another question. Well, I was just also going to add the part about Drew Brees is the thing that was so concerning was this deep ball, and I actually really quick was able to find Warren Sharp's tweet about it yeah. before Thanksgiving on deep passes. He completed sixty three percent of them, averaged eighteen yards per attempt, had the six. The zero uh, touchdown interception ratio, 144 passer rating. After Thanksgiving, his completion percentage uh, plummets by 22%. Yards per attempt plummets by eight yards. His touchdown interception ratio is one to two, and he has a 63 passer rating. So that it almost seems like even if he's just old and is you know wearing down as the season goes, it seems like it's more than that. Um, what I was going to ask you about, you brought up the the rushing value of quarterbacks. So where do you land on a guy on guys like Josh Allen and Mitch Trubisky who <laughs> have very much struggled as passers to varying degrees? But, you know, it's funny because when you look at them as like fantasy options, they're actually not bad because they run the ball so well and they're so efficient as runners. Um, so I'm wondering where you come down on that, because, for instance, with Trubisky, if you look at all of his passing statistics with like DVOA, um, stuff like that. He's more in the middle or bottom of the pack. And then you look at QBR and he's third behind Breeze and Mahomes. Um, so how, how much do you weigh that and how much, I guess, does their rushing ability matter moving forward and can it offset their inconsistencies as a passer? Well, at 538, uh, we were updating our ELO this offseason and that's just our model for how to rank teams, um, in season and out of season coming into the season. And we were adding a QB metric, right? We just wanted one and we tried a bunch. And the one we settled on actually wasn't QBR, but it was like QBR. And uh, it actually turns out that rushing is hugely important to winning football games at the quarterback position. And it's highly predictive of winning football games. And so I'm a big, I'm a big fan of it. It's just, it's a a boom bust kind of thing. Right. And I would also suggest that 
you know, long term, if you if you do want to settle on a quarterback that is mobile, um, you would obviously want the Steve Young mold, the guy who can pass as well as run rather than the Josh Allen mold, or I guess it remains to be seen if he can be a good uh, passer uh, on a consistent basis. But I'm much more bullish on that that Lamar Jackson is more Steve Young than Josh Allen. And um, and I think, you know, his 7.1 yards per attempt by the end of the season kind of showed that. He, he, was, he was passing at a reasonable clip. It's slightly above league average per drop back. And and, and I think I think you can I think you can build around a guy more like Lamar than you can with a guy like Josh Allen, who throughout his college career, playing against not the top competition, was below average completion percentage at every depth or, or at most depths. So I think he's a he's a much bigger unknown or a much bigger uncertainty than uh, than a guy like Lamar Jackson. Well, thank you for. Uh... Finally fulfilling. It took till Thursday of this show this week, but Sean finally got some smart football person to say Josh Allen sucks in a nice way, which is, uh, which is all, <laughs> that's, and that's going to be the headline of this podcast. Is, no, no. Way. <laughs> smart uh, guy from five thirty eight confirms Josh Allen sucks. No, no, no. It's going to be uh, it's going to be something involving the Bears and why they suck because God Almighty, I've been getting trashed I, by the Bears today. Bears fans today. Yeah, I've I've been throwing shade on on Trubisky quite a bit lately, and uh, I I don't know. I'm kind of conflicted because he's actually his last year in college. He was actually quite good relative to his peers, and and, sure. and he completed a lot of passes. And he's not a dink and dunk artist like some suggested his rookie year. He actually he'll actually push the ball down the field, and uh, and he does complete his share of passes. So I, I just think my take about the Bears is more that people are overweighting defense in kind of their win total this year, at least Vegas was early on, like 10 and a half. It was kind of crazy to me. I, I just think that that's wildly optimistic for this team with a, with a guy who – Trubisky is not a guy I don't think that you would look at and say, yeah, that's our playoff quarterback. That's the guy that's going to take us deep into the playoffs. I think he's – I mean, he's not bad, but I don't think he's that either. So uh, the fact that Vegas has come down with that win total, I think it's closer to nine, nine and a half now. I think that's a little more reasonable, uh, given what that team actually is. Yeah. And yeah, very, well, I was going to say in very annoying fashion. It's, it's a thing where like, you know, you, I mean, like you tweet out, Hey, this is why the Bears could regress. And Bears fans are like, F you, bro. Your kid has crappy hair and never talk bad about Khalil Mack ever again. We're incredible. And you're like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not saying the Bears suck. I'm just saying they could potentially, like their ceiling could be nine and seven in a wild card berth. Okay. So just settle the F down. Like, like relax. I mean, this is, people just get a little out of control for my taste. No, that's that's entirely reasonable. Nine and seven wild cards, my goodness, and and they and Bears fans should be happy with that. I don't understand. Yeah, they're wild. Um, all right, Josh, we'll let you get out of here because we kept you longer than I longer than I promised, which is sort of my my thing. Uh, but that's okay. This is an awesome conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time. Go read uh, Josh Armstrong at five thirty eight dot com at establish the run. The uh, we didn't even get time to talk about the 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 buy low air yards thing, which is. Uh, very quickly, for people that don't know, it's it's basically uh, utilizing targets and, uh, and, and 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 passing data in order to figure out who is more likely to catch passes. It is a massive help in DFS in particular, and I would highly recommend you read that article at uh, at Establish a Run. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks. Well, thanks, guys. I really enjoyed it.